I've heard a lot of Christmas sermons, including in the midst of a concert, but when you really boil them all down, almost every Christmas message, given at a church at least, uh, will address one of two questions and then embellish it a bit. Uh, the first one is, how did the Son of God come to earth? And the second is, why did the Son of God come to earth? Now, now to the first one, uh, Christians all around the world, all through history, have given a uniform answer. It's been, the one word is incarnation. God became physical. Uh, the one through whom everything was made, enter end to his creation. Uh, the one who was eternal was born of a virgin Mary in the town of Bethlehem. That's how. Now, this other question of why did the Son of God come to earth, that's what I want us to think about today. And I had um, a little insert put into the worship folder, if, if you could find it. Really, there's only one question with two parts, but we have it to three just to complicate things. Uh, why did Jesus come to earth? And then I want to ask, if you just ask somebody in the community who doesn't usually go to church, what would they say? Uh, the why of Christmas. And then ask yourself that. If you want to write a bit on that, you can. For those of you younger who have forgotten how to write, use your phone and try to punch that, that in there. <laughs> I'll tell you, the, um, the Bible's answer to this is very different from what we usually hear in our culture. Uh, don't you think, in our culture, Christmas is usually thought of the why. To bring about a special, warm feeling that we all know we should have, but we don't usually have, but we want to have. And so why? We've got to be able to have this feeling that we hope will last more than just one day and will last all through the year. You can sing the songs and we hope we can carry it to other. It's, 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 it's a feeling, we think, that is conveyed by the Christmas story in the Bible of a poor uh, couple who are forced by the government to make a long trip and she's pregnant and they show up at the little town, the destination, and there's no place for them to stay. Except an innkeeper is there, but there's no room in the inn. And so they stay in his manger. And there the child is born, a perfect child. No crying he makes to perfect parents, both of whom have halos on their head. To perfect animals, you know, the, I'm sure even the donkeys braid as beautifully as our choir. And, and, and cows uh, chewing grass. It's, it's a feeling that we want to have and we want to embrace and pass on because we believe that the warmth of that can warm the hardest hearts, even a heart as hard as that of the Grinch and of Ebenezer Scrooge. So why the world seems to communicate to us is, is to give to us an, an emotion that we want to have, something that we long for, that will motivate us to go out and make the world a better place. So many people think that this story in the Bible is a good one to convey that of, of a young couple and the child being born. It's also, though, the world tells us, communicated by other stories. You know, Santa Claus, who loves all children and brings everybody gifts if they're good. Um, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, who feels kind of out of it, but then is self-actualized and uh, suddenly is able to go out to even the island of misfit toys and rescue them and give them owners. It's communicated by that. It's even communicated in a newer movie by something like a Buddy the Elf coming back to his hard-hearted businessman father and keeping him from swearing and turning him into a singer. Now, all of this communicates that same warm feeling, right? And the world seems to get, and sometimes I think we get it mixed up at times, 
But the world says it doesn't really matter if it gets mixed up as long as we get that Christmas feeling, you know, that, that Christmas spirit. And, and you can find the mixing of it in so many places. Um, one of the songs, I think it's, John, I think it's your favorite Christmas song, perhaps, or Jeremy. Uh, it, it's called Here Comes Santa Claus. I'll just show you a part of it. Um, mix it. Here comes Santa Claus, right down Santa Claus Lane. He doesn't care if you're rich or poor. He loves you just the same. Because Santa knows that we're all God's children. That makes everything right. So fill your hearts with Christmas cheer because Santa Claus comes tonight. Peace on earth will come to all if we just follow the light. So let's give thanks to the Lord above because Santa Claus comes tonight. Doesn't that just warm your heart? Now, I tell you today, I do not want to be a Scrooge and just say, bah humbug about it all. I've heard pastors preach sermons like this. This is all rotten. I like these stories. I really do. And I'll just tell you this. As much as I get concerned about how we get it mixed up, I would so much people have a warm heart rather than a hard and cold heart. I'd much rather have us go out and work to make the, better place, the world a better place than to um, have us just live self-centered lives. I'd rather be singing rather than swearing. <laughs> and yet I think when you go to church and, and, and you hear why, why did the Son of God come to earth, we've got to, to hear what the Bible, what God actually says about the sending of His Son. And He would really indicate that the longing of people with all these stories of having something different in our hearts is a, a right kind of a longing. But the problem is what people, a self-generated way of feeling that longing is never going to work. That God says, I have to do something in your hearts. And it's more than just fill it with an emotion you haven't had before. The language that the Bible uses for the why of Christmas has to do with an absolute transformation. A radical change of our hearts so that our lives become different. And that the word that the Bible so often uses for the why of Christmas, the words, different words in the Bible, almost all start with the word are when we translate them into English. Words like rescue. We were in trouble. Something needed to be changed and somebody had to come and help us, pull us out of that. Words like redemption. Uh, which means we were trapped in a way of life that we knew that wasn't how we were supposed to live and God came to pull us out and to set us free. Or the word that Paul uses in Colossians 1 and is so often in the Bible. And we've been looking, guests, at Colossians 1 all through the Advent season. The word that he uses for the coming of Jesus into this world is reconciliation. Reconciliation. So I want to think just a moment about that. What it means. Why do we need it? How was it achieved? So what does it mean? If God was willing to make this coming through his son into the earth to reconcile us, what does it mean? And you know, the word reconciliation is a beautiful word. It has to do with relationships. And it, it also suggests to us that all of us know that there are some broken relationships. So a, a reconciliation is restoring things to their intended proper relationship. I, I think all of us can imagine a time, I want you to that you had a relationship with somebody that you just loved being with, but now, for some reason, that relationship seems to be broken. Maybe it's because of distance. 
Maybe it's because something has happened. You have done something or he or she has done something that's broken. And then something happens or someone comes in to bring you back together. Is there anything more beautiful than that? I also think it has to do, especially in the Bible, with something that haunts us. A memory perhaps of something that was, that is not now in our world, that someday will be. And actually the Bible talks about it that way. I talk about it often within the context of Christmas. Think about it. When God created the world, Genesis chapter 1, when he was done, it was very good. Then, then we pull back in Genesis 2, and there's one thing that wasn't very good. I mention this often. Do you remember what it was? One thing wasn't very good. The one man who was there was alone. And, and Genesis 1 had told us that you and I are made in God's image. There's something about us that's like God. And one part of it is God has always existed as one being, but in three persons, always in relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, always in relationship, so that when He made us, it's not good for us. We're not really going to have that peace on earth and goodwill if we have no relationships. And so He created the woman. And women, you know what happened. It was good. At last. It, could, it couldn't have been good. No amens at all about that. Well, the man said it. Jeremy said amen. Now, um, in that story, in Genesis chapter 3, the problem is the very heart of good relationships is when God is in the center of our lives. We were made to have God at the center of our lives, God being our God. But in Genesis 3, human beings thought that they had a better way. And there's one thing that he told them not to do, and they said, our idea is better, and put themselves into God's place. And that broke that relationship with God, which affected everything. It sent off this cycle of, of things that happened. Relationships with one another was broken, and also, we were in right relationship with our world. Being made in God's image, we were given this opportunity and responsibility to care for this world, to, to maintain the beauty that was here. And our relationship with the world was hurt. God came to make things right, to reconcile all that had gone wrong. And so when you look at Colossians chapter 1 and you look at places like verse 20, God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Christ and through him then, this word, to reconcile to himself all things, all things, by making peace, shalom, the way things are supposed to be, through his blood shed on a cross. So, what is reconciliation? It has a cosmic dimension to it, where things have gone wrong that need to be made right. This world should reflect the goodness of its maker. And now there are other dominions that need to be brought under his lordship again. It has a relational aspect to all of us. The need we have where there are broken relationships from people, wars that happen between nations, and even in our families broken relationships that need to be reconciled. And then it has a very personal dimension. You with me here? Very personal dimension that there's something in our lives that is broken from God and we need to be reconciled to Him. And God came, why? To bring about that beautiful reconciliation. That brings me to my second question. And my dad's here down in the front row. My mom often said, you haven't really preached a sermon unless you meddle for a while. That's my West Virginia mom. And so I'm going to meddle with you for just a while. I want to ask you, do you think you need to be reconciled to God? 
Is there anything in your life that is not all that, that your maker would have it to be? Uh, I had one yes, so there's one honest guy here in church. All right, now, in our church, Jeff Jones is our business administrator. And when sometimes we face a big challenge here at Lake, and yes, guests, we do face a few of those with these human beings sitting around here. When we face them, Jeff always says, listen, the only way that we can even begin with this thing is first to identify what the real problem is and then own that problem. And he keeps saying so many times, we don't really want to own what the real problem is, so we create all sorts of things, sometimes expensive things, to solve something that isn't really even the problem. So all week I've been going around asking people, can you think of a place where we just won't own what the problem is or identify it, so we do all sorts of things to try to, to solve it and we don't solve it. And people have come up with so many great stories. I don't, someday I'll tell you, I don't have time today, but I'll tell you one of the best was from Pastor Carol Kenyon, one of our pa- pastors to uh, preteens. And she said she has six sons. And she wouldn't tell me which one. But one of them, when he was four years old, was developing aching, terribly aching knees. And Carol's friends and, and she thought that this was perhaps a symptom of some kind of serious juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. So they were very, very concerned, looking for medical help, wondering what kind of medicine, medical processes should be done until she found out, looking out in the backyard, that every day her son was going out, hopping up on the hood of the car and jumping off trying to fly. I'm telling you, all the medicine in the world wouldn't have solved that knee problem. Or I was talking with my son Brandon about this this last week, and he told me a situation which many of you know here in Southern California far better than I as a a transplant. Do you know about Salton City? And the Salton Sea out in the desert, not too far from Palm, Palm Desert. Well, it's a place where a number of different uh, water streams, tributaries, come together, some of them underground. Sometimes water comes into that area from the uh, melting of the snow in the mountains. And so there's a body of water right there in the desert. And, and some people had a dream that this could become a great resort area like, like Palm Desert. Some of you have been there, and, and you know it may not quite uh, be that yet. And, and so they thought, what's the problem here? And so they tried to put some more water through irrigation, some more water to come into that place. And they thought, of course, we need some fish to be in that water. That's one of the problems that is here. And we need some hotels and restaurants, and we need streets to be put there. And this is a picture of the way that it had been envisioned, and as developers were selling it, were selling it, was there, except that there were some other problems. Last night we had some people who worked on this project who helped me to understand it a little better. What kind of problems? Do you know that it's a center of seismic activity? There are several main fault lines that converge right there, including the San Andreas Fault is there. It creates all of these sort of effects that create a a mud-like tornado, it's called. I think we have that picture. It's just so ugly that it's there. One of the things I didn't have a picture for is that uh, as the irrigated water was pumped in, All sorts of other things came with it. And so if you go there now, there's all sorts of life in there that that most of us don't want. We called it scum. So if you go there, you could walk on the water of the Salton Sea and it wouldn't even be a miracle, at least parts of it. And then, of course, it became the kind of place, kind of a Dead Sea-like effect because it didn't have sufficient opportunity to flow out. So if you go there now and you walk around the beach, you have these dead fish everywhere. Do you get the point that you need to identify what the real problem is? 
Otherwise, you try to create all sorts of things, often very expensive initiatives, and they don't address the real problem. And I think that so much of our Christmas apparatus is that. We've identified something. There's a longing in our hearts for something to be different, this, this peace on earth, this warm spirit that everything is pointing to. But instead of really identifying what the real problem is, we're trying to solve it with all sorts of other things. Now, let's come back and see what God says the real problem is. And it's found in verse 21 of Colossians 1. You were alienated from God. I could almost hear some people say, I knew this preacher was going to get its stuff. This is not what Christmas spirit is all about. And then it goes on. You were enemies in your minds because of your own evil behavior. Wait a minute, what kind of a Christmas spirit is that, Pastor Greg? I tell you, it's the beginning of true Christmas spirit. The problem is you and I have been made to have our hearts filled with God himself. We've walked away from him. We need forgiveness of the past. We need remaking for the future. And what Christmas is about when God says, this is why God's son came, is that God loves you. And he loves you and me so much that he will not leave us without truly addressing our deepest problem. He came, he lived, and he sacrificed for that. God loves you because you and I need forgiveness of our pasts and we need God back again into the center of our lives. We need to be reconciled with him. Remember Colossians 1, 13 and 14. God has rescued us when we come to Jesus from a dominion of darkness where we can't see how to live. He brings us into a new rule, the kingdom of the Son He loves, the one in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the human problem that God came for. This is what Christmas is really about. So, so when you watch the Christmas stories this year, um, when you see Scrooge, the Christmas Carol, Scrooge needed a new heart. But so did Bob Cratchit. The Grinch needed a new heart. But so did Cindy Lou Who. Walter Hobbs, the elf, needed a new heart. But so did Buddy, because he wasn't an elf. He was human like you and me. And you and I have to own it. I need forgiveness because there are things in my life that are wrong, and God says, I love you, and I'm ready to make them right. We need to say, I own it. I need to be reconciled first with God, so that then I can begin to live. Looking to see if anyone agrees with me. I, I read an editorial just a few weeks ago that would acknowledge that I don't think the man was a Christian, but he was reflecting on how in our culture, he was so fascinated by the fact of how our culture, our whole nation, is screaming out when they see these public crimes of well-known people and that they aren't, don't seem to be sufficiently punished by our courts and how angry people have gotten sometimes. Like, like about Governor Rod Blagojevich. I have to be from Illinois or I couldn't even say that name. You know, only, only that much time and it'll get out short. Or about Dr. Conrad Murray. Or, or about especially Casey Anthony. Do you remember that in, in Florida, the death of her uh, daughter? 
People were angry. They said, we can't have justice in a world where you don't thoroughly punish this kind of evil. And what he wrote was, it surprises him to discover over and over that people intuitively believe that evil must be punished. And he wrote, think of it. We live in a world in which people often say that they believe in no absolute moral values. But he says it seems that no society can sustain that conviction. Something inside of us insists that there is no justice without evil being punished and goodness rewarded. And the Bible agrees. And it tells us we've all engaged in it. That's why you and I need reconciliation. It begins there. So just the last word. How is it achieved and received? Back to verse 20. God was pleased. I love it. God was pleased. Brought him joy. To have all of his fullness dwell in Christ. And then through him to reconcile all things to him. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Peace through blood. I know it's Christmas, but I can't sugarcoat language like this. Peace through blood. You know, Paul, who wrote this, was Jewish. And what he was doing was going back to his scriptures, and especially to the book of Leviticus. Uh, Have you ever read the book of Leviticus? It is one difficult read. I'm just telling you. Uh, And it, it gets pretty repetitious. It keeps saying, God is holy and perfect, and we are not. God is holy and perfect, but God loves us anyway. And so um, God has found a way uh, to remain holy and yet to, to provide forgiveness of us so we can have a relationship to him. And, and he prefigured it through these sacrificial systems. And each time an offering needed to be brought to God for, for people, because all people need forgiveness, but the sacrifice that had to be brought for us had to be blameless. The, the lamb or the animal could have no blemish whatsoever because God is perfect. Um, and in, in Leviticus 16, it talks about a day called Yom Kippur. You know it, don't you? The Day of Atonement, where for all of us acknowledging together, it's not just a few, it is all of us who have fallen short of the holiness of God. A perfect, unblemished lamb would be brought. Pointing forward, the New Testament told us, to the one Lamb of God who would come into this world. And he alone would live a sinless life. He alone would live the life you and I were meant to live. So if you want to know how you're supposed to live, read the life of Jesus. He lived it. But then he was willing to take our place and die the death for sin that you and I should have to. But now we don't have to because he did. And the Bible says what we need to do is to give our sins to him and to trust him, be in Christ And he promises that whatever is in your past, he will be faithful. He will remain just, but he'll be faithful to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all that's not right. This is the good news that we proclaim every Christmas and every Easter and really every Sunday here at Lake Avenue Church. God's ready to start all over with you again. And then he's not going to give up until he's done with us and we are remade that our lives are reconciled to Him and then we go out and make a difference, bringing His goodness and joy to the world so that relationships can be reconciled and until eventually God's work is done and all things are made new. All things are made new. And when they're all new, it's, it's going to be a beautiful thing.
got to come back next Christmas Sunday morning. Then Pastor Albert and I will talk about it together. But just look at verse 22. When God's done with us, here's what we read. God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you. Think about God saying this to you. Holy in his sight. You and me without blemish and free from accusation. Have you ever thought about what you will say when you stand before God? I don't think it's going to happen this way. But but if God says, why on earth should I let you into my heaven? No, why on heaven should I let you into my heaven? That's probably better. And the honest answer would be the same as Paul's. I don't deserve to be here at all. But I have trusted Christ. And your word told me that if I do, my sins will be cast as far as east is from the west. And I will have the authority, the right to be your child. Brothers and sisters, that is the message of Christmas. The Son of God became a man. Why? To reconcile you and me. I'll stop there. Charles Wesley, though, got it right in his wonderful hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. He said, the peace on earth that the whole world is longing for and all the stories we watch are pointing toward, the peace on earth that we are made for, the mercy that is mild has come. And now through Christ, God and sinner reconciled. To his glory. Amen. Amen.